Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. If you've been tuning into A Certain Age for a while, you know my day job is helping executives and business owners create strong LinkedIn profiles. I also teach classes on LinkedIn and job hunting. When I teach, I share examples of strong door-opening LinkedIn headlines. Ad executive Cindy Gallup has the most eye-catching headline on LinkedIn. Her headline reads, I like to blow shit up. I am the Michael Bay of business. Boom. Talk about a scroll stopper, but not exactly a headline to get you hired. The second best headline on LinkedIn might be by award-winning copywriter Laura Belgray. Her headline reads, I write the only newsletter anyone opens anymore. As somebody who writes a newsletter every Thursday, this is exactly the type of headline that would have me throwing gobs of cash at Laura. That is, if I could afford her, or if she were still writing ad copy. Laura hung up her copywriter for hire hat after years of writing everything from TV promos for Bravo, Nickelodeon, HBO, to ad copy for woo-woo internet life coaches. Her words, not mine. Now she is an online entrepreneur selling courses that have helped thousands of business owners find the words and take the actions that get them paid to be 100% themselves. She began her copy career as a contributor to that Gen X Bible, The Preppy Handbook. She joins me today to talk about her own debut book, Tough Titties, on living your best life when you're the effing worst. So heads up, you late bloomers, wannabe writers, career switchers, accidental entrepreneurs, or simply people who love hilarious stories well told, stick around because this show is for you. Welcome, Laura. Hey, thank you so much. That was the best and absolutely most um, unique (laughs) intro that I've heard. Yeah, I love it. Oh my God. When the the words LinkedIn came out of my mouth, you're probably like, am I on the right podcast? What's happening? I I was like, (laughs) is this an ad for your, oh, I mean, sort of, but which it should be, um, which it should be. I also, I'm into the fact that maybe it maybe it's uh that I'm susceptible to negging but that I'm second best. <laughs> it kind of hey, gave me a little thrill. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Well, I can help you be first, you know, I do have a business in this. <laughs> Uh, But I am really excited to have this conversation with you because I am one of the people that keeps opening up your emails. You are not wrong. Uh, And I've been opening them since I think like 2017, right? I'm an OG fan. And one of the things that I've learned from reading a bazillion of your emails is that nobody tells a story quite like you. So I do want to kick this over to you. I'd love for you to introduce yourself to a certain age listeners and kind of give us a quick career snapshot and tell us why you're here. Oh gosh, a quick career snapshot. <laughs> I mean, you like, you just wrote a three hundred and seventy page book about it, so it might be I a little did, tricky to, did. to trim it. And this but. Is, it is the hardest thing for me to do is give a quick snapshot because, as you just mentioned, it's it dates back. My career dates back to working for Lisa Bernbach, who was the writer of the Preppy Handbook, that Gen X Bible, um, and that was my first job out of college other than being a bartender and and being fired from being a bartender um which i spent the first year doing so i worked for her as a fact checker and that led me to uh spy magazine where she was able to get me an internship that i would never have been able to get myself without that connection um cuz i had no qualifications or anything like that and from there at at spy i was i proved myself um it was like new york's coolest magazine and i proved myself as the world's worst intern i was just 
terrible at my job. <laughs> they, I, I was, I wasn't even on time, and I um, had to like one of my big jobs was to put together these gossip packs, like xeroxing the all the gossip pages of the different newspapers or gossip adjacent pages, and stapling them together and collating them, putting them on editor's desks. And that I I managed to do okay, although not first thing in the morning. The other thing we were expected to do as interns was pitch ideas. And uh, they wanted us to grow into associate editors and then editors. And I came up with nothing throughout my <laughs> six months there, zilch, zero. And um, the editor, a managing editor took me to lunch and had to tell me, you know, you can take initiative here. And I was like, oh, no, um, when you're told that you can take initiative, it's kind of it shows that you have it's the like opposite. You're, of you're screwing initiative. up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're on thin ice. You're on thin ice. That's the other eye. Thin, right? ice. thin, thin ice. Yes. It's thin ice. It is the literal opposite of initiative. Um, and I got lucky because the ad, the ad side and the editorial side were all on one floor and I had spent most of my internship doing schmooze laps around the floor and just chatting to everybody. And so I got hired on the ad side. They were like, well, we'll take her. And that's where I wrote my first piece of copy. I didn't know what kind of writing I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be some sort of writer or do something entertainment-y, but I didn't have a screenplay idea in me. I didn't have a novel in me. I didn't want to spend my days all lonely and, you know, weeping over a typewriter, um, which is what we would have used then, and crumpling up drafts and filling a wastebasket. And so I discovered there, they assigned me uh, an advertorial, which for your listeners is that page in the magazine that looks like it's part of the magazine, but it's not really. Uh, and it was for doers scotch. And they assigned me, ironically, um, this whole page, it, it contained, this is the ironic part, an essay on adulthood, <laughs> which I was still living in my parents' bedroom, but I managed to write that. And uh, sorry, my parents' home, it was my childhood bedroom. Um, it, it wasn't that bad that I was living, like sleeping at the foot of their bed. But anyway, um, and, a, and a quiz that was, the quiz was called, Do You Party Like Your Uncle Marty? And the quiz was to determine whether you were cool or an old fart loser. And if you were an old fart loser... Uh, if you were an old fart loser, then the remedy was to drink doers, of course. I love and it. so, yeah. And, and it was really fun for me to write. And then I had a whole page finally in the magazine. I was like, oh, I really like writing short, fun things. Um, and that's called copywriting. And so I managed to carve out a copywriting career. The next place I went was another magazine that was way less fun and more buttoned up and corporate. And I lasted there a full six months before getting fired. And that was the only nine to five I've ever had the, those six months at that next magazine. And then I got into TV promos by the great luck of knowing someone from Spy who told me he was writing promo. We went to lunch and he told me about his new job writing promos for VH1. And I said, what are promos? And he said, well, I just, I watch a lot of TV. And I write these, those short little things during the commercials that are for the network's shows that tell you to tune in. And I was like, oh my God, that's a job. <laughs> I have to get that job. I always wanted to get paid to watch TV. That was my dream. And so this was some version of that. And he hooked me up with the editorial director 
um, who was Lauren Zelaznik, who later would go on to create Queer Eye for the Street Guy. And the, she was kind of the um, founder of what Bravo is now. But anyway, she assigned me a promo. They, it was like, it was the 90s. I feel like you could, you could do this at that time, like go in cold with nothing really to show and get hired. And she, so she assigned me a promo and I wrote my first promo. And then I went on to write a whole bunch more for them and write scripts for their countdown shows, like their top 20 countdowns and top 10 countdowns. Um, some of them hosted by Moon Unit Zappa. There's real, some real Gen X name dropping here. Um, <laughs> we love Gen, it. Moon, yeah, Moon Unit was the originator of the uh, Valley Girl voice on the song Valley Girl by Frank Zappa. So um, I did, I and then I segued into Nick at Night, Nickelodeon and Nick at Night writing promos there. And that was like the place, the holy grail of promos for me. And I stayed in promos for years and years and years, um, at least 15, maybe 20-ish overlapping with the online space. In when I was around 40, I segued into writing for private clients in the online world, this, this weird kind of nebulous um, online space that I just called the space, online entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, massagepreneurs, doggypreneur, anything that you can... <laughs> A fixed printer or two. Mompreneurs, right? I, mom I was a mompreneur so many... a gazillion years yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and now there I'm a solopreneur. I still have printer attached to everything I'm doing. I guess I'm a podcaster, yeah. not a podcast printer, but you know. Yeah, you might be a podcast preneur. Maybe, maybe. A and, and I'm a, working and up to that. A... I'm working up to that, Laura. <laughs> right, right, right now I'm just a podcaster hanging out with a mic and, and having fun. You can get, the, if you monetize and scale it, you'll be a podcastpreneur. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, and that was by way of my friend, Marie Forleo, who is one of the biggest names in the online motivational women's empowerment uh, court and course creator space. Um, that back then when I met her, she was a life coach and bartender, and we were in the same hip hop dance class at Crunch. and she eventually pulled me into this world and I'm so grateful that she did. She asked me to give a talk at her first real uh, in-person event, which was called Rich, Happy and Hot Live. And it was in the Soho House library to 50 people. So I, I gave a talk on non-sucky copy and people started coming up to me after and asking me, like saying, I'm a realtor. Can you help me with my website copy? I'm a this, I'm a coach. I need help writing, you know, writing my about page. And I just said, started saying yes to them. Sure, I'll take new clients. And I had, it was a totally different kind of copy than I had done before, but I knew that I could write in a conversational human way, which most people are unable to do because it's been drilled out of them by school and by if they work in corporate, especially for their, or legal, uh, they've been taught to write in a buttoned up stiff robotic way. So I knew I could do a better job than they could and took on those clients. And that bloomed into a strictly online business over time. I love it. And, I, and I've been following you since the Marie Forleo days, honestly, because that's, I, I, yeah. I signed up for B-School and because uh, I get enthusiastic about things and I pay for them and I get halfway through, I didn't make it all the way through B-School. I'm a B-School dropout, but I one of the things that I've stuck with ever since is opening your emails and following your copywriting advice because my career has been, you know, sort of 
copywriting adjacent my whole life. And so I, I love what you're up to. We're heading into a break. But when we come back, I want to hear about your segue into writing a book. Great. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in your day, would you use it to head to yoga, take a nap, read a book, hang with a friend, maybe start a podcast? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. I know I do. I have three kids, two jobs, one puppy, and to be honest, a zillion things on my want to get to list. Here's what I've learned. The best way to squeeze something special into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your busy schedule. Getting started is so easy. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash a certain age today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash a certain age. Okay, Laura, we're back. I uh, we went into the break, and I just confessed that I dropped out of B school. And um, but I'm I'm a committed. I'm a committed student of your writing. I'm a committed, um, you know, student of your emails. And when I learned from your email, which is why it's so important to have an email list, that you were writing a book, I like raised my digital hand and I like DM'd you and sort of cyber stalked you on Instagram and said, please put me on your media list because I would love to hear about it when it's live. And the book is, you know, it's out. It's about to be on shelves. People can pre-order it right now. And I absolutely love this book, Tough Titties. It's a phenomenal read from start to finish. Part of the reason why I loved it so much is I was also a New York City kid who grew up in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, right? I connected with everything. Mm-hmm. I had that chocolate soup bag. I lived through <gasps> the, the Upper East Side girl scene. You know, I also snuck into like Palladium, Lion Light, the Pyramid Club. And I've had multiple plates of French fries at Lucky Strike. So this this book is not just a love letter to good writing and to amazing copy and hilarious stories. It's also a love letter, I think, to a vanishing New York. And I would love to hear about what made you write it. Oh my gosh, I'm smiling so hard right now because it's, it is rare that I get to talk to somebody who read it from that lens, like who was also a New Yorker and grew up in the same era and gets all that. Most, most of my readers, and I love this too, are like, Oh, you, you know, you make me feel as if I were there, as if I grew up there. Um, and I, I get to see it all in studio and all those things. But this is really fun. I didn't know you had the chocolate soup bag. <laughs> By the way, That's I never made it to studio. Awesome. I was like, I was having, oh. I was having like FOMO from the 80s. I'm like, listen, I was like <laughs> lucky to make it into Palladium. They used to make me walk in with my friend Christina because I looked like 12 and she looked 22. And they were like... Christina is assigned to walk in with Katie because otherwise we're all getting kicked out. So I, I never made it to studio. That, that's a great chapter in the book. I felt like I was there. Thank you. Uh, you're so much cooler than I am that you went to multiple clubs and actually got in. I, that was the only time I ever got in. And then I was click, uh, quickly dragged out. So um, so what made me write the book? I mean, it is a book of stories that I've always wanted to tell. And you know, the thing is, I, I'm not a big famous person. So you don't get to just write a book of stories you always like to tell. And, you know, if you're not Rob Lowe, who gets to write stories, I only tell my friends or any other celebrity. Um, I didn't have permission to do that. What I had permission to do, really, what I was, the book I was supposed to write was 
a copywriting book or a marketing book or something to do with business or or self-help or personal development, um, some kind of how-to with like bullet points at the end of each chapter, what you just learned, your next steps. And I refuse to do that. I'm like, I would rather eat a bag of hair. <laughs> and <laughs> this, this is the book I always wanted to write. So um, the trick of it was giving it a theme, like making some sense of why am I telling all these stories and inserting some wisdom, some takeaways in a subtle way. I'm not going to spoon feed them like one of those books, but um, I, you know, as for like naming it and deciding what the book was, cause it took forever to do that. I was writing it for so many years before I finally figured out what was it. And, and by the way, the working title of it for a while was new dork city. Okay. I still didn't know what it was going to be, but it was like a, you know, misfit dork in New York. Late, uh, a, a subtitle that I had once I came up with Tough Titties was Confessions of a Late Bloomer, but that felt a little soft and a little like flowery and didn't love that. Um, but t the title came to me because of something that I say all the time. I found myself saying, well, Tough Titties. And it's usually in response to something that somebody wants me to do do or wants me to be. And I'm like, oh yeah, they want me to do that. Mm, tough titties. And I felt like, okay, that kind of sums me up. I, it is the original ultimate, sorry, not sorry for not being a very supposed to person in my view. And so it worked on that level, but also on the level of being basically 12 <laughs> for life. And, and I felt like it had notes of that you know, New York, 1980s, like terry cloth halter top, sidewalks infused with urine. Um, totally. And, just, I think yeah. even if you even if the listeners are thinking like, oh, I didn't grow up with sidewalks infused with urine, like, you did grow up with terry cloth. <laughs> so like, just do, do not pretend otherwise. We have seen your gym shorts from your 1980s pictures. So and I, I feel like that it has that exactly. whole that whole vibe of I mean, I remember that like people saying that tough titties. It was just um, such a, a such a fun book to read. I, I I loved every every page of it. As I said, um, you know, but writing a book is no easy thing. I know that because I've been trying oh. to write one for a couple years, and uh -huh. the, the hardest part is sitting down and doing it. So I'm just curious, like, what was the hardest chapter for you to write? Was there one that was easy that just poured out of you? Um, you know, sh mm -hmm. Share a little, what's a little bit of a backstory. Yeah, I would say the hardest one. The easiest and hardest one for me to write was this chapter called Starfuckers, because the story itself. So that's the story of me and uh, my two friends who were like my going out friends. My part, I mean, they were my best friends at the time, truly like my 1990s going out friends, um, one of whom plucked my eyebrows into little like razor thin um, like pencil <laughs> lines. And uh, hey, it was the look. Um, and the the three of us met a world-renowned cinematographer, not cinematographer, filmmaker, uh, auteur, uh, who I call, in the book, I call him Marty Scorsese, but he was not Marty Scorsese. It was one on that level. And it was, um, and so we just ended up in like a little bit of, a mess with him because he wanted a foursome and we didn't feel like giving him one. Um, and he was gross, but, uh, 
the, so that story really poured out of me. It was a story that I dined off of for years. Like I, I came back from a trip where we had met him and talked about it and everybody loved the story. And I told the follow-up story and everyone loved that story. And it was very easy to write. But then the hard thing was finding the why to that story. Like, why am I telling this? Why, how does it fit into this book of late bloomer stories of trying to fit in of, um, you know, those of not being the person that I'm expected to be like going, taking the windy path to success. Like those are the main themes of the book. And how does this story fit it? And that was, that was a struggle with several of the stories. Like I want to tell this, but I have to find out, I have to figure out why I'm telling it and weave that into the story so that the reader feels satisfied by it and doesn't just end up being like, okay, that's funny, but why are you telling me? And so what was, that is, what was the, what did yeah. you learn about yourself with this, this sort of starfucker story when you were yeah. you know, peeling um, back the, the layers to figure out why you've been telling it all these years? Yeah, I realized there's something to this, like, why, why do we put such a premium on celebrities? Why do we think they are so important? Why would we, why, I mean, it's called starfuckers. Like, why do we want that attention? from a celebrity what are we looking for and i i realized that you know the two of my like my two friends it was obvious um one of them was in film school and so she was obsessed with this filmmaker and the other was going was auditioning for acting roles at the time she just started to be an actress and so who knew like maybe he would cast her as in, in one of his movies as for me, it's like there was nothing concrete that he could give to me, but I was like, I want him to see me as special and tell me why I'm special and tell me what to do with my life. See, uh, That's what I wanted from everyone, basically, but especially him. It's like, see, I want you to see my talent and tell me how to use it, because that was my big struggle at the time, like trying to figure out what career, what kind of job was going to harness, tap my talent, make me feel like I was doing work that didn't feel like work and where everyone, where, where my brilliance just shined through and everybody would recognize it. And I could maybe be a wonderkind. And so that I, I was hoping, like we were hanging out with him and I was just hoping he would turn to me and say, you know what you should do with your life? And then I would just be there to take notes. <laughs> Yeah, there's so much, you know, you, like there's so much premium placed on this, like this notion of the wonder kid, like the, you know, like 40 under 40 list and the sense like you've got to get it all figured out so early. And, you know, I, I you you share in the book over and over again that you're a card carrying late bloomer. You know, when I look at what you share in this book, also, though, you were on Sesame Street when you were two, you know, you're writing promos <laughs> for some really big brands. You've done super cool things. Like, I mean, yes, like the Starfucker incident, maybe like, you know, wasn't quite your bag, but you like taught... Sherman Helmsley, you know, the George Jefferson of TV to moonwalk, you know, so most people would think like that stuff's really cool and fun. You know, I get your career wasn't linear. I understand the monetary success came later, but I'm wondering, and I asked myself the same question, like does growing up in New York City play any role in feeling um, dissatisfied? Because this is a hustle, hustle city where everyone's kind of A-list or blue chip, big successes, you know, um, the top of the heap, if, you know, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Do you think being a New Yorker contributed to your feeling that you hadn't gotten your act together fast enough? It could be because 
this was a time, you know, my my 20s and 30s were a time before social media, before I could really compare myself to everybody in the world, uh, which is now the fun thing that I get to do, like be feel behind all kinds of people from all over the place that I don't know. Um, so it could be, it could have to do with being in New York and pe- where people have incredible opportunities. And if they have any hustles, they take advantage of them and really cash in on them. And I always felt like I semi did that. Like I, I was handed great opportunities, but I never felt like I maximized them because I wasn't built to maximize them. Like starting with that internship, I felt like I was running out the clock on it. Like, oh shoot, I still don't. Like I'm still not you know, on time. Four, I still haven't still gotten here at nine. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, when's that going to happen? <laughs> exactly. Right. Like tomorrow, I, I think I've always had this feeling, this wish, like tomorrow I'm going to wake up and be a different me and and be an on-time person and be somebody who goes for it and um, and does all the work and throws everything they can at their success. And I've never really felt like, except in in moments, little isolated moments. I've never really felt like I was that person. And when I first started writing promos and I felt like, okay, I'm doing my dream job now. That's that's one of those moments where I felt obsessed with my work the way I wanted to. And like, I was working so hard that people would say, hey, do you ever take a break? I was like, are you talking to me? Cause that's not me. Um, I was the, I was the break taker generally, but I, I do feel like it's, been hard for me to channel that um, o- overall. I have moments of it, but I've I'm not built as someone who is all in and takes it to the max. And it's one reason I've never been able to, for instance, rise up the corporate ladder. I could not, you know, I <laughs> I lasted on on that first rung of the corporate ladder for all of six months, and then was like, bye bye. You know, you can kick me off now because I don't anticipate the boss's needs. I don't hustle. I don't, you know, I don't get there early if, if even on time. Yep. And so, yeah. What, what were no, you no, I say? was just, I was just going to say that when, you know, what, what you're saying right now, you know, you see in the book, when you read it, there's sort of an evolution, I think a little bit of an evolution mm-hmm. in the way you see yourself. Like you were just sharing earlier about how you never saw yourself as somebody who was climbing that ladder or who could even. And you're yeah. waiting for Martin Scorsese to, to see your talent. But I, I, you know, in the book, you start to see your own talent. You start to see that you are doing things exactly the way you want to do them and, and uh, succeeding um, with sort of a new definition of success. And one of the things that jumped out at me in the book was that both of your own parents made really big midlife career pivots. And yeah. um, that, you know, I imagine informed, you know, your own realization that it's totally possible to switch lanes that you don't have to get it figured out right, you know, right from the jump, right out of college. Yes, exactly. I mean, they, so my father, um, when I was a pretty little, I'd say around four, he switched careers from, he, he had been an industrial engineer for the airlines, for American Airlines, Eastern Airlines, which meant he mostly, I, I'm not sure exactly what he did. Part of it was tallying theft of those mini liquor bottles. Um, and, he, but he, he got, he, he got great perks and so did we, um, you know, free travel, sometimes upgrades to first class. I was not old enough to appreciate that. But then, you know, when I was little, he switched to being a psychoanalyst and spent by the way. So he was in his forties by that time. 
uh, when he decided to make the switch. And then he spent 10 more years earning his PhD. It just, I don't know how it took that long, but I am from late bloomer stock, let's just say, and slowpoke stock. So <laughs> slow he took pokes. a long time to write his thesis, uh, et cetera, and finally, and became an analyst. And, um, you know, I would have loved to have kept the travel perks uh, and instead of being probed all the way at my butthole for feelings constantly. Um, but I, what I did see in him was that relaxed timeline, like, okay, you can switch, you can find your life's work in your forties or later because it was his life's work. He loved it so much that he always said he wanted to do it till his dying day. He never wanted to retire. And he basically didn't. He still had one client who visited him when he was in, um, an assisted living place for a while and came, like came for appointments. And, uh, and then my mom, partly inspired by him, I think, and pro and, and pushed by him, nudged by him. Um, she was, she was in the recording industry and had a doctorate in musicology. So she had a PhD before he did. And she wanted to figure out her next step after having kids her next chapter. And my dad urged her to like, read, uh, what color is your parachute and take a course. Um, and this, this course in finding your thing led to an internship and she discovered that she loved children's books and she got an internship at, in a children's book publishing, um, at a publishing house. And she was in her forties, I think her late forties. So can you imagine like taking a job as an intern in your late forties, especially back then? Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, There's, there, there, it wasn't yeah. considered to be this like sexy kind of like reinvention mm -hmm. I'm going to do a TED talk about being a 40-year-old intern mojo. Right, right. There was no way to monetize that step um, and turn it into a TED talk, exactly. And so, yeah, she. I mean, it's a pretty humbling thing. She was getting people's coffee and making Xeroxes, et cetera, but be eventually became a children's book editor and has and loves that work and loves children's books and is still involved in it. To this day, in fact, she's involved with the Bank Street Children's Book Committee. And um, so I was encouraged by both of them that they had this relaxed timeline. And that was sort of the standard that I set for myself. Yeah, and but they, the their timeline was not even yeah. it was not even just that your timeline was relaxed. I was so mm -hmm. I have I have three kids, Laura. They're uh, mm -hmm. 22, 20 and 16. And I'm like a recovering control freak. You know, I, 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 you know, I learned like in the first decade, I'm like, I'm not in charge. Like I can help try to like guide the ship, but like the ship's like, it's got its own engine. You know, the kids are doing their own thing, but yeah. you know, it's still hard to kind of not want to help or push or guide. And your parents really were so relaxed about all the choices that you were making in your life. You know, you talk about you know, good romantic choices, bad romantic choices. You're very honest. Your parents <laughs> met somebody that you were having an affair with who was married. He was your former dance instructor. They seem like super zen. And I was like, I wish Laura's dad was still alive to help me figure it out. Because, you know, they're very, like, I was I was really amazed by um, how relaxed they were, you know, during this, what, what you're calling the sort of like late bloomer. You know, do you did you experience that? Or am I just reading into that? Well, they allowed it. But for one thing that like the year I spent the, the year slash years, I spent loafing around the house um, in my childhood bedroom and not doing anything and not finding work. Um, they, they were tolerant 
because they liked having me there, but they would constantly come into my room and say like, how's the job search going? You know, any progress today? And um, I, I suppose less relaxed parents might've said, might've put down an ultimatum, like you've got to find work or you're out of here, or you have to start contributing to the rent, which they didn't. And then when it came to the dance instructor, the married salsa instructor, uh, they, I wouldn't say they were relaxed. I think they were um, gritting their teeth through it <laughs> and, <laughs> and trying not to be judgy. And I mean, my mom would her voice would get very high whenever she talked about him. She would say, so I guess he's separated or <laughs> question uh, mark, question or, mark. Yeah. Question vocal mark, question fry, mark, vocal or, fry. Yeah. <laughs> I hope, are you happy? <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, no, she was not relaxed about it. She was just really trying not to. I think they both understood that to push me wouldn't get them anywhere. I love and, it. Well, they they seem like amazing um, people, and they're they're just um, your family. Like your love for them shines off the pages. It was really it was so it was so fun to to read this book. Um, uh-huh. You know, one of the things that I actually flagged, I wrote it down because it, it really <laughs> it, it jumped out at me. You said uh, you specifically talking about the sort of notion of late bloomer, the relaxed pace, the um, kind of the slow poke notion that you referred to. You say, "quote My mm-hmm. sloth like pace has advantages." For one thing, I don't have to look back at my 20s, 30s, or early 40s and think that was the best I'll ever be. The plumpest my college will ever be, you bet. But my writing and career in life, still improving. I get to enjoy moving toward my peak. I hope I never hit it. Um, mm. Do you still have this this attitude? Did aging play any role in, in getting you there? Or, you know, what what role, if any, did midlife play in feeling really comfortable that you're running your own race at your own pace? Yeah. Oh, listen, I do still feel behind all the time. I mean, and I think that's thanks to social media and the industry that I'm in or surrounded by, which are these online entrepreneurs who talk about scaling and are able to go from 1 million to 5 million to 10 million um, within a couple of years. And I'm not, I'm just not that person, but I do think finding my groove I, I don't know if it's because of aging, because of getting older and more mature, or it just took me that long. That's how long it took. It took how long it took for me to get there. And I do think that that's a a benefit, um, not having to look back and say, oh, well, I really, I really had my mojo back then. Like I was, I peaked. I don't want to ever say like, that was the year I peaked and be the, like talking about my successes from when I was 30 like, you know, the uncle who comes over and is talking about that um, goal, that touchdown he made <laughs> I know. in college. Right, or you peak in high school. My daughters always say, right. like, no, you don't want to ever hang out with people who peaked in high school. Um, nope. Which, you know, and we could say that for any any phase of life. And, and you know, yeah, we want to be perennially curious and growth-minded and doing new things. And, like, how boring if it's, like, all behind us. Um, that's yeah. something that your your book also really focuses on, too. I, I'd love to switch gears for a minute, if we can, and talk about your copywriting. Because I've been talking about what an incredible writer you are. You've made a career, you know, writing for big brands, like entertainment brands. You've made a career helping other people. Um market themselves and their businesses, you, you no longer really copyright. You teach classes or, or, or sell programs that allow people, 
you know, to like learn how to fish for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and one of the things that that like really the hallmark to me it seems of your work is that it's um, you know just really conversational, talking in an own voice. I don't want to use the word authentic because authentic is probably like the most overused word on the internet. You 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 call <laughs> it more like being flossom, you know, like how to yeah. like embrace your flaws. Um, we don't have superpowers. We have so-so powers or loser powers. We can be flossom. If somebody's listening to this thinking, you know, I want to, you know, share my writing better. I want to talk about my work. You know, how would you help somebody to become flossom? I would say share the things that you don't want people to see in you. Maybe uh, I don't. I don't mind people seeing. I don't mind bearing it all and. Um, the chapter of the blowjobs I gave in the 90s comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to say that chapter, chapter wasn't flossom. I'm going to say it was awesome. But okay, go b- b- back to being flossom, <laughs> <you>. please. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so I love revealing things about myself that I'm insecure about, that I don't like about myself. Maybe it's some sort of strange proclivity of mine that I enjoy doing that. I think it's rare to enjoy that and people are afraid of it. Like, I don't want people to see this about me. I don't want to be judged for this flaw, you know, whether it's, uh, or I don't want to look like I'm unprofessional. Um, I mean, I, I think that if you are in perhaps in corporate or somebody who, or say you're a freelancer um, who depends on clients and they depend on you getting things in on time. You probably don't want to broadcast that you're terrible with deadlines and late with everything. That's probably not something, a flaw that you want to bear out there. But if you are in a position of sharing yourself and it's not going to compromise your, it's not going to compromise you professionally, I say, go for it. And um, share those things. It doesn't mean that you have to beat up on yourself all day, but I think that's the most interesting stuff. I kind of hate the word juicy, but it is the juiciest stuff. I love juicy. I'm just going to just yeah. jump right in. I use juicy all the time. I saw your post about juicy and I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm I'm just, <laughs> I'm a lover of the word juicy, but you know, but I get it. Like you, and by the way, I'm admitting that right now because that's how you, you know, you connect with people. It's yeah. like, you can't, yes. no one wants to hang out with a shiny Instagram filter. That's just pretending certain things. You have to just, you know. I don't know, accept who you are and and be okay with that. And I think getting to midlife, I think that makes it a lot easier. And that's been sort of a theme yeah. of, of this show. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you. It, it is the juicy stuff. Let's embrace juicy. And, and <laughs> Team juicy. When it, when, <laughs> team juicy. And when it comes to writing about that stuff, about that stuff and the, the craft of it, of making it good writing, to me, the secret is all in the details, the concrete details that you use, painting a picture rather than using vague, squishy language. Like, you know, I was in a dark place, loathing myself and um, my well, where my self-esteem was at an all-time low. Like, what does that look like if you're, if you're talking about a moment like that? What does low place mean? It, it's way more effective to say, I sat on the floor for three days, like uh, Demi Moore in St. Elmo's, Fly- Elmo's Fire, um, but stalking my ex on Facebook and eating Doritos from the bag and wearing dirty, unwashed sweats. Like just painting a picture, showing the details that uh, that we can see. That's what makes the writing gritty, makes it sticky, makes you makes your eyes 
actually fix on it rather than sliding right over it. Absolutely. So this is this is my last question for you because we're, we're we're nearing the end of our time together. But you know, your writing does that. It, it brings it's it's vivid. It's it's story focused. You know, you, where do you land on Chat GPT? And because I know that everyone's mm-hmm. wondering if Chat GPT is going to kill copywriting. It's the, is it the killer app? I saw your recent social media post that you had a very funny experience uh, when you were on a podcast recently where they used Chat GPT to try to create an introduction of you using your own voice. You know, is this the killer app? Does it really work? Is it ever going to replace real humans? What's your take? I cannot imagine a world where it evolves to that place because so far all I've seen is a fail in that sense of it trying to capture someone's voice, sound like them, do anything funny by like anything remotely funny. Anytime you ask, like ask it to write something funny, it will talk about comedy. It will say, this is going to, you know, have you, um, have the, have you laughing your head off. You'll be in stitches. Right. You'll be (laughs) right. You'll be, you'll be in stitches. This is better than a stand up comedy routine. (laughs) It could fill the arena. I mean, that's, that's how it does funny by talking about comedy. Um, and it cannot, I mean, I gave it all the resources I could to make it come up with something in my voice. And there it came up with the word juicy, which I don't say. <laughs> oh, my God. It was using my language. That's so funny. Well, I'm, you know, exactly. I, it's so interesting. So, you. so we can't use it to do um, to be funny, to maybe to create connection, but we can use it to do our homework, I guess. So that's yes. what people should be using it for, you know, for, for homework. Um, if you're allowed. Yeah. If it, you don't get caught. I know that I know they're now like looking for that. They've got AI detectors, I think. Oh my God. But absolutely for structure, sure, go ahead and use it. Um, But someone said, hey, you know, I I was struggling to write a press release for Tough Titties. And they were like, let me, I I will whip one out for you using ChatGPT. I'll show you how good it is. And it started, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) presenting the book of the year. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my God! All right, okay. So it's not we're, we don't have to fire ourselves yet if we work in in, nope. in creative fields. It's not it's not com- no. coming for us. All right, Laura, no, we, I'm not concerned. Good, good. We um, you shouldn't be because your writing is is singular, and um, we, we we need your voice and we need your email. So everyone needs to like learn in a minute how to subscribe to them. But we are heading into our speed round. It's how we wrap the show. It's just one to two word answers, um, so we can end on a high energy note. So let's do this. All right. Writing okay. Tough Titties was? Challenging. Yes. I... And challenging and joyful. Nice. Uh, what is your most flossom loser power? Being late. It's been years since you've written a TV promo. What show on air today do you wish you could write a promo for? Succession, but not succession because it would be too hard and I couldn't do it justice, but succession. Oh my God. I'm so addicted. All right. Please, for the love of God, stop using this word in your ad copy. Juicy. (laughs) I knew that was coming. All right. Not enough people think to use this fabulous word when they're trying to sell something. I don't, I can't think of one that nobody uses. And if I can, I'm not going to tell you. Okay, that's true. That's that's gold. All right. Ugh, <laughs> ugh, ugh, and ugh. When I see this email subject line, it makes my skin crawl. My most vulnerable email ever. Updating your LinkedIn headline to include the word author, Laura? Yes or no? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. How, right. Why I not? We, so. gotta, we, we need to. We need to. We we got to bump you up to the number one spot, right? So we need to have your a little little magic on your LinkedIn headline. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll consult with you Perfect. on that one. I'm 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 here. All right. Finally, your one word answer to complete the sentence. As I age, I feel bad about my neck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Nora beat you to that. You can't use that one. She. No, I blame her. I really, like, I don't think I would have considered it. And it's now, I truly, um, I know I'm cheating. Like that was, you wanted one word. Um, We're going to blame Nora Ephron and we're going to blame Zoom, right? Or or maybe, or maybe our phone cameras when we accidentally open them um, the wrong way. For sure. It's a, it's a horror show. And I do blame her. Like, I don't know if I would have been aware that like what has happened to my neck. Had it not been for her essay, which is fantastic, <laughs> everyone should read that essay. Everyone but should don't. read that as, but don't. don't exactly not not if yeah. not if you want to feel good about your neck. Um, no. uh, so where can where can a certain age listeners find you? Sign up for those emails that I keep raving about. Find your book, Tough Titties, and just sort of stay abreast of all things Laura. Yes. Okay. So first of all, on social, please come find me at Instagram. I'm uh, at Laura Belgray, and then my site is talkingshrimp.com and you should sign up for my emails at talkingshrimp.com slash sign up. And my book, Tough Titties, comes out June 13th. So if it's not yet June 13th, please, please, please pre-order it. And if it's past June 13th, please get it. Get more than one copy. Get it for your friends. Uh, it's at toughtittiesbook.com. All the booksellers are listed there, the main ones that count. Thank you so much, Laura. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. Before we say goodbye, two things. A quick thank you to everyone who's taken the time to write an Apple podcast review. I see and appreciate you. And come follow the podcast sister account over on Instagram. You can find it at Let's Age Out Loud. The account spotlights even more stories of women making the most of midlife. Have a story that you want to share? Please head over to at Let's Age Out Loud to submit your story. We would love to feature you. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time, and until then, age boldly, beauties.